0: If you would turn to First Timothy, uh, chapter 6, verses 17 to 21. So First Timothy 6, and verse 17 to the end. So hear now God's word. As for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty, Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith. Grace be with you. Amen. You know that preachers, as they uh, are coming to the conclusion of their sermon, kind of give you indicators that they're reaching the end. They might say... And finally, or they might say something like in conclusion, but even if they don't do any of that, there can be something in their tone of voice, uh, maybe in their cadence and the pacing of what they're saying. Yuri is very astute at this. Of course I know I'm getting to the end of my material, but I don't Know that I'm saying anything different, but all of a sudden he gets up to make his way to the balcony for the final hymn, and it, <clears throat> and I know I better wrap this thing up. <laughs> well, uh, it, I'm sure at times it's frustrating when a preacher gets to the end and then he winds up and gets keeps going. So I haven't. I have a. Circumstance. I wanted to tell you about a story. Um, there was, when I was in seminary, Edmund Clowney came to preach convocation and very fine theologian, pretty good preacher. And he, and he preached, my general memory is, a very fine sermon. But that's not what I remember about it. <clears throat> At any rate, he's preached a long, very adequate amount of time. And he comes to, Winding up, and any moment now, I expect him to say, "Amen," and conclude it. <clears throat> and just when he gets to that point, he winds up all over again and starts a whole new section. And I'm thinking, well, that's okay. You know, we we can stand to be here a little longer. And uh, he he goes on again for a little while and begins to kind of wind his way down. And you're sort of expecting any moment to be an amen. And it doesn't come. And he winds up all over again. He does this six times. I think it was a really good sermon. But what I remember about it is his six conclusions. And it was frustrating. Now, here we're in Timothy. And Paul, we might, you, you, would, you would not be at fault If you thought when he when he got to the end of verse sixteen and he says to him be glory and eternal dominion amen, you would not be um, out of order to think well that's the end. But he he doesn't stop. He winds up again and adds uh, two more sections to his letter, and they're helpful and they're good sections, but. It's here, Paul winding up. Now, he will come to a conclusion with what we do tonight. And there's two parts to this final conclusion of the letter. One is he gives his exhortation to the wealthy. What are the rich to do? He's already brought up the topic of wealth uh, earlier in this passage. But he addresses them again. And then he's going to address Timothy. So what are the wealthy to do? What is Timothy to do? And uh, wealth is definitely a wonderful gift. can be a wonderful gift. It can be a snare. Um, In the musical Fiddler on the Roof, uh, Tevye sings that song, If I Were a Rich Man. And you and I, in our daydreaming moments, think, you know, what... What can I do with a lot of money? And there'd be a lot of wonderful things you could do. Uh, You could benefit a lot of people. Um, Maybe you have the thought, well, if I won the lottery, then I would do this. Don't play the lottery. But if you played the lottery, you might think, well, if I won the lottery, what would I do with that? Well, Paul has brought up the danger of the love of money. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Here he's addressing those people, uh, not because they love money, but because they have it. And what are, what, what's, what are to, what's to guide them in their thinking? And so it's verses 17 through 19. And he gives several directions to them. The first thing he says, as for the rich in this present age, charge them not to be haughty. So the first instruction for them is not to be proud or arrogant because they're wealthy. There's nothing wrong with them being wealthy, but it would be wrong to consider yourself better than other people uh, if you are wealthy. Uh, wealth, if you're able to accomplish it, if you're able to earn it and get it in um, a very a good way, there's nothing wrong with that. But you don't want to allow it to cultivate within you an arrogance, a self-sufficiency. All the things God has given to us, he's given to us, as Paul says, richly to enjoy. But they are not to make us arrogant or self-sufficient in in those things. So he says, now warn the rich in this present age not to be haughty. Uh, not to look down on others. William Barclay in his commentary says, there is nothing in this world which gives a man any right to look down on any other man, least of all his possession of wealth. We don't want to ever allow ourselves on whatever basis to consider ourselves better than others. Because the reality is uh, all of us as sinners... Uh, are not better than others uh, we're all totally depraved in and of ourselves in our nature and it's if we have anything <clears throat> it's all grace if we if we have intelligence it's a god's gift if we have opportunities if we have employment anything we have it's all a gift And so we must never allow ourselves to be arrogant and look down on others, in this case particularly because of wealth. He says, he goes on to say, nor, so there's several warnings here, don't be arrogant, nor set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but on God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. So we're not to be arrogant. We're not to set our hope on riches because we know how uh, easily they can go away. Any investment in the stock market or whatever it might be can evaporate in a time. Even a person who's built a business and they've worked really hard at it and done really well at that business Sometimes it can be gone in, in a moment. It can collapse. Uh, we can't put our hope in that. Uh, we can't be um, base our, our hope on the uncertainty of riches. But to put our hope on God. So it's God alone in whom we need to put our trust. Because whether we have a lot or we have a little... Uh, We have God. And God is eternal, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And we have him forever. And so whether we're up or whether we're down, we have a consistent stability in the Lord our God. And it's in him that we place our hope. Uh, It's in him that we find true satisfaction. Again, it's not bad to have things. Um, As Paul says here, he's given us, he provides us with everything to enjoy. Remember earlier in the letter, Paul had to address those ascetics who denied marriage, uh, denied the um, use of, of some of the good gifts God had given us, food, and Paul had to rebuke or warn Timothy not to get drawn away by those things because God's given us marriage. He's given us food and, and things to enjoy and possessions. And all of these things are a great blessing to us where <clears throat> our hope isn't in them. God's given to them to bless and benefit our lives. Um, turn back to 1 Timothy 4. Verses 4 and 5, this is one place where he earlier talked about these things. <clears> 1 <throat> Timothy 4, 4. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and a prayer. So come back to the wealthy in 1 Timothy 6, um, 17, beginning now here at 18. What are they to do? They are to do good, to be rich in good works, to be generous and ready to share, thus storing up treasure for themselves as a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of life that is truly, a hold of that which is truly life. So they are to do good with what they have. They are to be rich in good works and to be generous and compassionate and sharing Uh, And so they're to be willing, not hoarding what they have, to be willing to share it. Now, we understand that you can't always give money to certain ones who are poor because uh, maybe they won't uh, be able to use it wisely. Our church in general has a practice not to give money, not to give cash to those who ask of it, but to do something Constructive, like when someone comes to the door of the office and they want money, I don't have it and I don't give it, but I'll take them down to the to Gresham and I'll fill their car with gas. And uh, Mark has taken someone to Walmart and bought them some groceries or some diapers or something, and so you can give them something tangible that they can use. And so we have to be wise in our generosity. But nevertheless, we need to have the spirit of generosity. <clears throat> I had a friend in college, and um, at that time, candy bars were like a quarter or something at the Dark Ages. It was a long time ago. <clears throat> I think we rode a horse to school or something. And no, anyway, <clears throat> but I'd ask him for a quarter to go buy. You know, I'd ask ask him for a little bit of money, and he would say. Um, Psalm 3721, the wicked borrow and don't pay again. <laughs> and I was suckered by him. So turn, turn to that passage. Turn to Psalm 3721. Finally, I had a friend who uh, helped sort this out. <clears throat> so Psalm 3721. <clears throat> So it does begin, the wicked borrows but does not pay back. But but read the whole verse. But the righteous is generous and gives. (laughs) So finally someone called his bluff. And uh, he had to kind of slink away in chagrin. But at any rate, you and I are to be generous, we're to share. Uh, It says here we store up... uh, to ourselves, treasure. Now, that doesn't mean that we're buying someone's affection or buying someone's care, but what it means is we're investing in something positive in the lives of other people, and that will pay off in the long run. We want to invest in one another, encouraging one another, helping one another. might be a financial thing, It oftentimes is not financial, it's in other ways. And we want to invest in people. uh, Encourage them along the way. uh, Because the day will come when we need their encouragement. And we've put uh, our energy into them. And then they, in turn, will put their energy and their investment back into us. And we lay hold of that which is truly life. Here, not necessarily again purchasing eternal life, but we investing in one another, we are storing up deeds of righteousness that bear a spiritual fruit, um, bear gracious fruit. It's what Jesus tells us. I won't have you turn there, but remember in this Sermon on the Mount. Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and rust do not destroy and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. So God wants us, Paul's encouraging these people, and God wants us to invest, not Purely thinking financially, though sometimes maybe that's included, but investing in people, investing our time and our energies in constructive ways in helping one another and building righteousness in the kingdom of God. And so growing in that, and that's laying hold of life that is truly life. Not just eternal life, but making this life productive and uh, memorable and wonderful and fruitful. It's bearing fruit in in good, righteous deeds that bless many people. And that's what encourages us. It encourages one another. It's what we're to do. Not get distracted and caught up in what we have, but what we can invest uh, in other people. And so Paul's first a series of exhortations is to the rich and how they're to deal with their wealth and there are principles there you for you and I to apply as well but then interestingly enough he's using the same investment imagery with Timothy but here it's in a different arena he says in verse 20 so we're back in 1 Timothy 6 Uh, Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. So Timothy has been given a deposit, a trust. Here it's not a financial thing, but uh, it's a deposit of truth. But Paul uses a financial term and he says, I want you, you need to guard that deposit. You've been given something uh, and it's been put into your hands and you're called upon to guard. It's, it's a literal word for depositing something <clears throat> or connected to a deposit of something, a financial deposit. You need to guard that deposit. And what is the deposit he was given? Well, it's really, It's ultimately the gospel. It's the body of truth from the word of God. That's what he was given. When he was called to be a minister and he's serving in Ephesus at this time and Paul's giving all this instruction to him in this letter how he can conduct the church business and the church affairs and the the uh, the life of the church and he's been given a, a, a gift of that truth and he needs to protect it. Uh, we've already seen and we're going to see again here in a moment we've already seen Paul several times in this letter warning him about false teachers, warning those, warning Timothy about those who are w- turning away from the faith. And here he's giving him the positive constru- instruction, guard what you've been given. Now each one of you have been given something. It may be your personal salvation, it may be your opportunities uh your life it's a deposit it's a gift and you need to guard it not misuse it not disregard it uh, let's go on into second Timothy and we see the same guarding repeated a couple times in in second uh, Timothy one verse 14. He says, by the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. So he repeats that same instruction. But here it's the reminder that the Holy Spirit is abiding with him to help him guard that deposit. And then in chapter 2, 2 Timothy 2, verse 2, he goes on to say well, part of what he's to do with it. And what you have heard from me In the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in sufferings as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So there, Timothy is, just as this was entrusted to Timothy, Timothy is in turn to entrust it to someone else. When God gives you and I a gift... Uh, oftentimes we are called on to then entrust that to someone else, To especially in, the, in terms of the leadership of the church. The leadership of the church isn't supposed to hoard the truth. We're supposed to give it out, guard it, but then entrust it to other people so that they may be able to have that deposit and, and use it effectively for the glory of God. And that's the positive instruction that Timothy's given. But notice when we go back to 1 Timothy 6, uh, there's the negative. That is, we, there's something positive we should do. There's something negative we should avoid. Avoid the irreverent babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge. This would have been, particularly in the first century and in Ephesus, the teachings of the Gnostics. Those who believed in knowledge or a special knowledge. You see this addressed several different times in the New Testament. The danger or the warning here is there are those who will come to you. Perhaps I especially speak to my young friends. There are are going to be those who are going to come to you and try to deceive you. And try to say, you need to have this special knowledge or understanding. And whenever someone uh, says that to you, you need to, at least figuratively, stick your fingers in your ears and walk away. Uh, You will never hear me say that. You will never hear any faithful minister say that. What they will say to you, what you will hear here, is you don't need a special knowledge. You just need the knowledge of the Word, and you don't need a uh, a doctoral student to teach you these things. You just need the Holy Spirit through the preaching of the Word to direct you to the Word to teach you that. Don't be lured away. There is no special knowledge. There's simply the knowledge of the book. And you don't need a special anointing. You have the anointing of the Holy Spirit. And he will guide you into all truth. The truth in that word. So don't allow yourself to be distracted by that. And so here, even Timothy, a minister of the word of God, has been warned, don't allow yourself, don't follow the irreverent babblings of these uh, in contradiction of what is falsely called knowledge. And he continues, why not? It sounds good sometimes, but why don't you follow that? For by professing it, some have swerved from the faith or wandered from the faith. Uh, We've talked about how the word faith can sometimes have a subjective element. Talking about our own personal uh, appreciation of faith of the Lord, but many times, in, particularly in this book, it's a body of doctrine. You see that so clearly in Jude that you contend once for all for the faith, once for all delivered to the saints. And what that is, it's a body of truth. Uh, it's uh, the That's part of the deposit that was entrusted to uh, to Timothy, it's a, a, a concrete description of what the Bible teaches and what these people, by wandering off into this knowledge, falsely called, have abandoned that body of truth. They've abandoned the content of the teaching of the Word of God. And uh, maybe they're still... Superficially in the church, but they're 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 turning away from the concrete truth of the word of God that um, had been given to Timothy, and that will guard and protect you from falsehood. Um, earlier in the book, Paul talked to use other terms for this: meaningless talk. Uh, he, but but here it's they're they're they've wandered away from the concrete uh, body of truth that has been given to the church, and we have to be alert not to do that. To store up God's truth, to store up by way of our confession and catechisms, the truth of the Word of God, memorizing those things because God can bring those back to memory. <clears throat> I recently had a conversation with someone who said, you know, I'm reading my Bible, but I just don't feel like I'm getting anything out of it. It's not being any good for me. And I had to remind him, it's absolutely doing good for you. Even if you don't feel like there's anything dramatic happening when you're reading the Word of God, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is laying down principle upon principle Statement upon statement in your heart and in your mind. And when you need it, the Holy Spirit will bring it back to mind. Uh, There was a seminary professor I had who he had been very faithful in training his children, his daughter in particular in this case, uh, using the catechism and along with the word of God to, to lay down the principles of the holy religion. And when she got into college age, she got lured by a cult and was drawn away, and they didn't have any contact with her for a period of time. And, of course, they prayed like everybody else was praying desperately for, for her, and um, then all of a sudden she came back. And they asked her, what it was it that drew you back? And she said, as I'm listening to all these preachers telling me all this stuff, the answers to the catechism kept coming back. And they would deny the Trinity and the catechism question: how many gods are there? There's only one God. And how many persons does this one God exist? In three persons, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so God, the Holy Spirit, was taking things that had been laid up in her heart and bringing them back. And that's what God's doing when you're reading the Bible, when you're listening to sermons, when you're in Sunday school classes. He's laying down principles and truths that he will use to help you and protect you in the days ahead. And so you want to pay attention to that. And let that still be stored up in your life. And then he ends the book uh, truly concluding, grace be with you. God's unmerited favor that he desires, the benediction that he desires you as God's children to have. And that's a good place to stop. May the blessing of God and the grace of God be with you. Amen. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for your truth. Thank you for these encouragements for us to understand how we can uh, relate to the the blessings you give us in our life, uh, the abundant blessings. Help us to use them well for your glory and find our hope in you and not in them. Help us to be on our guard against uh, the falsehood that will try to lure us away from your truth. And may we remain steadfast. May we, like Timothy, guard the deposit that you've given to us so that we might uh, walk in your ways and experience the blessedness of your grace in our lives. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.